So the movie Free Solo tells the story of Alex Hunold becoming the first person ever to climb Yosemite's El Capitan without a rope. With just his climbing shoes and some chalk for his hands, Hunold climbed the 3,000-foot rock face in just under four hours. This isn't just like climbing a rock wall at your local climbing gym. There's sections of the face with no handholds or footholds at all, places where the only thing that's keeping you stuck to the rock is the pressure that you can put on it. And if you make just one mistake, then you fall. No rope, no net, no parachute. This is the most rigorous, most dangerous, and the hardest climb in the world. In John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples and for future believers to do something that is just as hard and just as unlikely. He prays for them to be one. He prays for unity among believers. In our series, One Kingdom Indivisible, we've been asking ourselves, what does it look like to be one? How can we remain undivided during a time when there are so many news stories and issues and opinions and political perspectives constantly threatening to pull us apart? We've been following the story of God's people throughout Scripture, from creation to the Exodus, to time spent in exile, to the coming of Jesus the King. And this morning, we're going to hear Jesus' hope for the church, the men and the women commissioned to carry on the work of stewarding God's kingdom and being a blessing to all nations. So Jesus has been praying for his disciples. He's asking God the Father to protect them, sanctify them, give them joy. And then his prayer focuses on those who will believe in Jesus through their message. And that's us. Jesus prays for future believers who will continue his ministry in the form of the church. So if we are citizens of God's kingdom and we've pledged our highest allegiance to Jesus Christ, our King, then let's lean into what he's saying in this prayer and ask ourselves, what is it going to take for us to live that out? This is what Jesus says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. These are some of Jesus' final departing words. The very next thing that happens in the Gospel of John is Jesus is arrested, sentenced to death, and then crucified. So this prayer is important. Unity among believers is crucial to the kingdom of God. He prays for believers to be united the way that the Father and the Son are united. And that unity will be a signal to the rest of the world, drawing people in and serving as evidence for the truth that Jesus really is the Son of God. So according to this prayer, if Christians work together in unity, then more people will come to know the Lord. So then I think the opposite must be true. When Christians lack unity, it keeps people from knowing the love of God. It's a deterrent for future generations of faith. I have a buddy who served in youth ministry for several years. He was telling me about the unchristlike way that some of the adults in his congregation were expressing their political views. They were posting things online like, this person's an idiot, or anyone who votes for so-and-so is a moron, or posts that said things like, if you're a Christian, then you have to support this candidate or this party. Their posts 
always provoked fruitless, heated arguments that were more about shouting than about listening. There was name-calling, sarcasm, fear-mongering, nationalism. It was not pretty. My buddy says that these people didn't seem to realize that these unmeasured public expressions of patriotic fervor were being viewed by young people who used to be in the youth group. These adults had been their Sunday school teachers, their camp counselors, their mentors, people from whom they learned about Jesus. But now, their social media behavior didn't match the Jesus that they had taught them about. And a lot of these young people walked away from their faith. They walked away from church altogether. Because if these adults weren't talking the way that Jesus talked and taking the commands of Jesus seriously, well then why should I? It seems there's a lot writing on whether or not Christians are united with one another. Maintaining unity within the church is a big responsibility that often gets neglected. The early church understand the gravity of this hope that Jesus had for the church to be united. When Jesus was raised from the dead and when he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, go and wait for me in Jerusalem. So they all gathered there in Jerusalem for a Jewish festival. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that God's spirit came down upon the people who were gathered there. And by the power of God's spirit at work, people coming from all different places, different languages, different background experiences were suddenly able to understand one another. And this strange and mysterious event came to be known as Pentecost, and it was the beginning of the church, a diverse group of people who were united because of their shared faith in Christ. This theme of unity shows up again and again throughout the rest of the New Testament letters in the section of the Bible that's right after the Gospels. Listen to some of these words that were written by Paul and Peter about the importance of unity. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace be with you. Finally, all of you should live together in peace. Try to understand each other. Love each other as brothers. Be kind and humble. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. The call for Christians to be like-minded, unified, to live in harmony and peace shows up over and over in Scripture. You heard a couple times in the video, Paul saying not just to try for unity and peace, but to make every effort to maintain the spirit of unity. Again, unity is crucial to the mission of the church. And unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. We said last week that when you become a follower of Jesus, you don't forfeit all of the things that make you who you are, your personality, your perspectives, your ethnicity. They just become secondary to your identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Jesus modeled this and the early church followed this. Jesus matched up people with polar opposite political leanings like Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. He said, boom, you're different, doesn't matter. 
go make disciples, go preach the good news about the kingdom. The early church did the same thing with rich and poor, boom, slaves and free, Jews and Gentiles, young and old, doesn't matter that you're different, go make disciples, preach about the kingdom. So we're not all going to suddenly look the same or think the same or have the same perspective on a number of different issues, but we are united in putting King Jesus first in our lives and working together for the purposes of his kingdom. But for reasons that I think we can all understand, being like-minded and working with someone who's very different than you is a really difficult climb. Unity among Christians has been a challenge from the very beginning of the church. You can see this even in the book of Acts, the story of the early church. We read about division between Paul and Peter after God's spirit fully opens the doors for non-Jewish believers. Peter is still only eating and associating with Jews. And Paul gets in his face about it and says, yay, what about the Gentiles? Paul also confronts divisions in the Corinthian church where Christians were fighting about which evangelist was the best. Some people were saying, oh, you know, I, I really like Paul's teaching. Well, I prefer Peter's teaching. Well, I like this guy named Apollos. Paul comes along and says, how about we just say, I follow Christ. There was also a lot of talk in the early church about false teachers and the, the truth that was passed on to you by the apostles. That's a phrase that shows up a lot. There were different versions of the gospel that was floating around, and the early church had to do a lot of clarifying on what the gospel is and isn't. There was plenty of fuel for division there. And then throughout the history of the church, there have been times when the church couldn't agree on theological or doctrinal issues. So they split into two different camps. If you agree with these people, you go this way. If you agree with those people, then you go that way. These include the Great Schism of 1054, in which Christians were unable to unite on a number of issues, including which Christian leaders had the authority over others. Maybe the wrong question to ask. The Reformation of the 16th century produced a number of new branches of Christian tradition. During the American Civil War, churches were split and new groups were formed over the issue of whether or not Christians should be allowed to own slaves. This chart maps out just a few of the divisions throughout church history. If the goal is unity, then the church seems to be moving in the wrong direction. Tri-Valley Church of Christ is part of the Church of Christ tradition, which comes out of the Restoration Movement, which took place in the United States in the early 1800s, and it was aiming to restore the church to its earliest forms. Its intention was to unite around the traditions of the early church and make the Bible central, but it didn't necessarily unite Christians in the way that it set out to. It also became something of a reactionary movement, often defining itself by what it was not rather than what it is. Oh, we're not like the Presbyterians. We don't do what they do. Oh, we don't agree with what the Catholics are doing or how they're worshiping, so we're different from them. Today, there are approximately 30,000 different Christian denominations in the world. And in addition to doctrinal issues, we comfortably segregate ourselves by age, race, worship style, political views, preference, communion, practice, preaching style, attire, accoutrement, you name it. My guess is if you do a quick Google search, you can find a church that has everything you want just the way you like it. Do you like the old school way of doing church or do you like the new style? Are you team chairs or are you team pews? Are you team short sermon or team long sermon? I have to admit, I haven't met a lot of people who are part of the uh, team long sermon camp. Woo! Yeah, team long sermon. The point is, dividing has always been a temptation 
and with our individualistic culture, now with quarantine culture, with our sectarian culture, I believe it is easier now than ever before to split. It's like we're looking up from the base of El Capitan and we're asking ourselves, how in the world are we ever going to pull off this mission of unity, Jesus? It's gonna be a challenge. Maybe the reason the New Testament writers talk so much about unity is because it wasn't happening. Maybe it was the thing that the church needed to be reminded about the most because like us, their natural inclination was to separate from people who were unlike themselves. Maybe this is the reason we find Jesus praying about this in John chapter 17, rather than just snapping his fingers and making unity happen. It's because it was going to be hard. It's interesting. You see Jesus healing people from blindness and, and sickness and raising people from the dead even. And he did it like it was nothing. And yet this issue doesn't seem the same. It seems like it's going to require us being on board with this kingdom vision of unity. And I think that's going to require some prayer. So pray for unity. What if unity was your daily prayer? What if asking God's strength and power to overcome our separatist tendencies was something that we did every day? What if we made every effort to maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace? If that was your prayer and your aim every day, how would that transform your attitude toward others? How would it transform your social media presence, your expectations that you have of others? I want to invite you to pray this prayer of unity with me now. Go ahead and let's pray this prayer out loud. Lord, we pray for a unity that transcends our resistance to others. We pray for a unity that transcends our need to be understood, agreed with, and associated with only those who are like us. Break down the walls that divide us. May we be one as you are one in Jesus and Jesus in you. May our unity bring the world to belief in Jesus, your Son, and to the knowledge of your great love for them. People ask Alex Hunold all the time about his dangerous climbs. They say, why do you do something that's so dangerous? That just seems crazy to me. And his response is, well, it seems dangerous to you because you're not me. He says, you can't imagine yourself doing something like this, but I do it all the time. I'm a professional climber and I'm at the top of my game. The risk is still there, but it's not as high when you've trained and when you've planned and when it's something that you've been practicing for as long as I have. I think in the same way, Christian unity or harmony within a tense and divided culture may not be as hard as it seems if the church is in shape and has trained for it. So think about it. How are your unity muscles? Are you in shape to make the steep climb toward Christian unity? even in a culture that's quick to quit on people? Tri-Valley is a church that has a lot of practice with people putting aside their differences and uniting for kingdom purposes. I've seen it happen at this church. I've seen this church gather together to worship God, even when we had to change our worship location to trivalleychurch.online.church. I've seen people in this church say, you know what, I'll sing your worship songs, even though they're not my favorite, because I love God and I love you. This is a church that says, I'll pool my money together with the rest of the congregation so that we can bless missionaries and we can help the homeless so that we can make an effort to help people know Jesus as their Lord. One time this church found out that somebody's relative uh, who was in prison had their TV broken. And the church said, you know what? If I was in prison, 
I would want my TV to work. So you know what? Let's, let's help him out. Let's get him another TV. And they did. I've seen this church send cards and prayers and throw parties for people that they don't even really know. I see this church regularly carrying each other's prayer burdens and lift its prayers together before God, asking for peace and healing and guidance and more and more of his kingdom in this world. And when that happens, it is a beautiful picture of God's kingdom the way that it's supposed to be. But it's something that takes prayer and it takes practice. Here's another snapshot of what it looks like when the church participates in God's one indivisible kingdom. This is Acts chapter 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That was almost the end of the sermon. I thought about stopping there, but there's probably one more thing that I should say. Woo! Yeah, team long sermon. And it's this. Even though unity is not the same as uniformity, that doesn't mean that we should always just agree to disagree. Like the early church making great efforts to clarify what was the true gospel and what was not, there will be some times when Christians disagree about something, but one side is right and the other side is wrong. Here's an example. In the first couple centuries of Christianity, some people had a hard time believing that Jesus was fully human, God in the flesh. So they came up with an explanation that said, no, he only looked like a human, but he wasn't actually a human. And the church didn't just say, ah, well, some of you think he was fully human and some of you think he was a hologram. Let's just agree to disagree for the sake of unity. That's not what happened. The church said, no, that's not right. That's not true. It's essential to the faith that we understand the truth that Jesus was fully human, was fully crucified and fully resurrected. Another example, like I mentioned earlier, during the American Civil War, many churches were divided over the issue of slavery. Some Christians wanted a public statement from the church that said owning another human being as property was sin. And others who wanted to keep their slaves wanted the church to defend slave owning. And both things happened. Some churches decried slavery and some churches defended it. We might look back and say, man, those slave churches were clearly wrong, but they thought they were right at the time. They found a way to say, I can follow Jesus and still own slaves. Just like some of the early Christians could say, I can still follow Jesus, but reject his humanity. How about us? Are there going to be social or political positions that people take that are sinful and not aligned with the teachings of Jesus? Yes. So what do we do when that happens? What if they don't think that their views clash with the teachings of Jesus? That's kind of a big question and I don't have all the answers to it, but I do have some principles that I think are helpful and will help us remain faithful and unified. One, know Jesus. The church is gonna be more unified when it is centered in the scope of the teachings of Jesus and the example of how the church applied what he taught them. 
It's easy to just pluck one verse out of the Bible and use it to justify something you already think or something you already want to do. But when we immerse ourselves in Jesus's way of life, it paints a more complete picture of what life in God's kingdom should look like. If you've never done this before, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. This is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's where Jesus says things like, blessed are the merciful, the meek, and the peacemakers. And he says, love your enemies and judge yourself before you judge others. So knowing Jesus is important. Number two, listen to each other. Understanding someone requires more time than it takes to read a bumper sticker or a social media post. The crucial task of maintaining unity only happens when we love each other enough to have real conversations. Most people have views that are more nuanced than the labels we like to slap on people. And because we're all different, we're going to have different perspectives that maybe we haven't considered from one another before. And it's in these conversations that we grow and become open to the transformation of God's spirit. So listen to each other. Number three, like we talked about last week, don't confuse allegiances. When someone starts explaining their rationale for believing something that doesn't sound like Jesus, it might reveal that their allegiances are out of order. They might discover themselves that they care more about themselves or the laws of the land than about the concerns of the kingdom. During the Civil War, some slave owners came to the realization, wow, I care more about my economic stability than I care about these people. And that's not the love your neighbor that Jesus taught me. And that's one of the purposes of this series, to challenge us to re-examine and realign our passions and our allegiances and to make them all subject to Jesus Christ our Lord. And number four, be gentle. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 6, Paul specifically instructs Christians to be gentle in times of conflict and disagreement. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Again, unity is hard work, and it takes a lot, but it's not impossible. With prayer and practice, we can be the church that God wants us to be.